Hello and welcome to this episode of Family Law in the UK. I'm Natasha Slabas, the host, and I'm delighted to invite two guests on this episode who are at Hayes McIntyre, the accountancy firm. So we've got Danielle Ford, who's a partner and head of tax disputes and resolutions. And Danielle's recognised as a specialist in tax disputes and the resolutions arena. And she's racked up over 20 years of advising of individuals and businesses on their tax affairs. So she leads that department at Hayes McIntyre's team for tax and resolutions. She advises on complex matters, including tax avoidance schemes, COP8 and COP9 cases, disputes with HMRC, negotiating settlements with HMRC, voluntary disclosures and time to pay arrangements. And she covers all taxes. So her uh, experience is obviously invaluable. And she also contributes to industry publications and events. So it's a real delight to have her on this episode. And along with Danielle, we've got Kay Mind, who's a director in tax and also in private client and trusts for Hayes McIntyre. So she also has a wealth of experience in advising high net worth individuals and families who are resident and non-resident trustees. And she started her career apparently in the Inland Revenue before moving into practice. And she has experience in all areas of personal tax planning for UK resident individuals, including estate planning, such as inheritance tax planning, succession and will planning. And in addition to advising UK residents, she also advises non-resident and non-domiciled individuals and foreign nationals who move to the UK. As well as that, she also advises non-resident trustees on the complexities of UK tax legislation and the implications for UK residents, settlers and beneficiaries who benefit from offshore trust funds. And on top of that, very impressive background. She's a council member of the Association of Taxation Technicians, which she held between 2015 and 2022. And she's a member of the Society of Trust and Estate Practitioners, which she's held since 2012. So she can assist clients with estate administration and in obtaining probate too. So there we have it. We've got some very experienced talent here for today's episode. So what we're going to be looking at today is the actual law and the changes to capital gains tax, which came into effect on the 6th of April 2023. So if I can ask both of you and to elaborate, if I have got anything wrong, obviously, about your credentials, what is the actual legislation um, that has made this change come about? So this legislation came into effect for the Finance Act 2023 under TCGA 92. It actually came about from the Office of Tax Implication when they published something a number of years ago um, in which they were recommending for separating couples to get the benefit of having a reasonable period in which they could align their affairs. Um, and it was back in November 21 when the government actually said they were going to do something about this and they were going to look at extending the nil gain, nil loss rules. So it's taken some time, but it's coming into effect from April 2023. So here we are now. That's a long time, isn't it? But that's 
not dare I say it, not completely untypical, perhaps. <laughs> I would say it's normal. <laughs> <laughs> so how does this then, the question beggars, how does this affect family law? Um, and in family law, there's no special exemptions from tax when you're unmarried. But when you're married, there is a difference here. And um, so formally, there was Section 58, um, which came about uh, to limit separating spouses and civil partners, no gain or no loss capital gains exemption from any disposal within the same tax year. But now what Daniela's just mentioned is that, and it's taken quite a few years <laughs> to say the least, um, now you have a situation where if the disposal occurred after 6th of April 2023, the CGT new rules mean that the transfer of any assets between spouses and civil partners who are in the process of separating can extend that period. So what are the, the main changes here? The four main changes that we've got here um, are separating spouses, civil partners now have up to three years after the year in which they've separated to make a no gain, no loss. Yeah, it's it's giving them much more time for planning. We'll come on to some of the detail, but the other opportunity we've got here as well are that there's a no gain, no loss transfer where that we've got a formal divorce settlement and that's no time limit. So there's not the three years, that's just a no gain, no loss. We've also got um, PPR relief is available for the spouse who's continuing to remain in the family home. That's something else where there's a lot of planning opportunities available. And the last one, which I think is also of interest, is where there is a transfer of interest in the family home, but someone's retained the right um, to receive proceeds at a future date. They can then retain the same tax position they would have been in way back when that originally happened. So I think this one here for me is key where we have got a family with young children where they're going to stay in the property for some time. I think we're going to see some benefits there, but obviously we can carry that some more detail as we go through the podcast. So that essentially freezes in time the the value of the property on transfer, even though that person might not have a right to live there, if it's sold many years later, it, you apply yeah. the old the old uh, value. So that's quite good. So in practical terms, then looking at actual scenarios and dovetailing these issues into family law, where we have like a measure order, which is exactly what I was just referring to, where you've got one spouse who post divorce continues to retain the right to occupy the former matrimonial home and the other doesn't, but the other one who doesn't retain the interest does have an interest on any future net proceeds, so there's a trust in land, then the future disposal can avoid potentially increasing gains to capital gains from rising house prices, assuming that that's what usually happens. Um, and that provides for a static computation, but one can't be sure of the future market, of course, and there is therefore a degree of uncertainty. So are there any other hurdles that you can foresee with that particular scenario? Um, there could be an issue with um, spouses who are actually, they've gone through the divorce and they're looking to move on with their lives and they want to buy another um, property um, as their principal residence. Um, they're not necessarily going to be able to claim 
the uh, PPR relief on that new residence. So there is an issue there, although they've got an option um, to claim on, on the matrimonial home, um, they um, are, are not going to get relief on any new property that they've actually uh, purchased. Right. So does that mean that the former matrimonial home takes precedence on that principal relief? There will be an option, so so they will have the option. Whereas they don't have any option before, they can't claim the relief on the previous um, family home, um, but it will give them that option. So it will be a case of doing some calculations, doing some planning around that to decide which house, whether it's a new one, the old one, uh, would benefit from the 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 PPR claim. That's good. So people can essentially plan around that potential where they have invested in however long it might be before that property is sold so that they're not tied to just having it limited to that property so they've got options um, yes. and in yeah. terms then of divorcing couples who might have further assets and more complex asset structures that it looks to me as though they'll have more time to evaluate their their whole a quest um, because they've got a three-year period would you say that's right i would definitely say that's right i think if you think about it old rules were you only had the tax year in which you were separating to make a nil gain nil loss transfer if i'm honest i think when you're going through a divorce not that i've been through a divorce but it's an emotional time for somebody i don't think tax planning is going to be at the forefront of their minds are thinking oh okay let's get we have to separate on the 6th of april just to give us nearly a year so that we can get our affairs in order it's the last thing that's considered so i think the fairness in actually allowing people three years after the year of separation enables everyone to actually get their affairs in order and actually take the time to plan these things through i think you're spot on there i've never had a case where they've come to me saying right I've decided to coincide the timing of my divorce with the tax year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If we ha if we had, I think it'd be an ideal client though, because it would help actually ease everything through. <laughs> yes. Well, yes, because you are limited, and the way the court system is at the moment, it's very slow. It's in overworked, yeah. inundated, and you're not seeing cases where they go to court settle in a year. So you're you're inevitably going to be benefiting if you need time from the new legislative change i think um, what about also, business oh sorry go on oh, sorry i was just going to add into that though don't forget those who separated after 6 of april 2020 then and they haven't actually transferred the assets sold the assets they're still going to have until 5th of april 24 under the new rules so it's really? not just for those who've separated from 6th of april we're actually looking at the assets so there are yeah. still some opportunities we've got some transitional time there should we say well that's that's very good um so we've got basically a backlog then so people who have and that that's people who've not yet started their divorce, presumably. I suppose it depends, though, because if we've got a, a formal divorce agreement, we're not subject to those three years anyway, are we? So yeah, yeah, it, it depends true. on each scenario. But I think it's just for those who are going for a divorce. It's always reevaluating where they are in relation to their tax position because they may have seen 
advice right at the start and actually these new rules may be of benefit to them now so yeah it's always worth re-looking at these things yeah so in yeah. a way so a delay in the court proceedings could actually be advantageous for some clients if it's pushed you know any kind of settlement after the um the 6th of april this year because they that delay enables them to benefit from these rules Yes, yeah, exactly. I hadn't appreciated that. So that's very useful to know, I think. In terms of businesses, then, where you've got shareholdings, how do you see this new legislation impacting that sort of scenario? Well, I think the new legislation is going to be really beneficial. Um, and it's probably not just looking at um, family companies and transfers of shares. It's it's looking at other assets that are not covered by the private residence relief. Um, any transfers um, that are subject to capital gains tax under the old rules creates a dry tax because it's a transfer for no value. Um, the spouse who's actually, you know, making the transfer um, is having to pay capital gains tax, but doesn't necessarily have any consideration in which to pay the tax. So I think it's going to mean that there's a larger percentage of the family wealth that is available, you know, to be um, to be negotiated through the divorce settlement because you haven't got a huge amount um, that's actually going to HMRC. So I think it is going to, you know, make a huge difference. Um, the other thing is, um, under the old rules, the spouse who was receiving the um, shares would have received the shares at market value because the the other spouse would have had to pay capital gains tax. It'd be a transfer at market value. So um, on an eventual sale of that asset, including shares, the um, spouse who was who was selling the asset wouldn't pay a huge amount of capital gains tax because of that uplift on divorce. But under the new rules, um, if it's going to be a no gain, no loss, they're inheriting the assets at the base cost of the the spouse who transferred those assets, which could be if um, it shares in a company that they set up, it could be that it could be a minimal amount um, uh, that they, they 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 invested in the company in the first place. It could be one pound shares or something. So under the new rules, the spouse receiving those shares is going to inherit that base cost. So it's not that it's capital gains tax is being um, avoided at this stage. It's really a deferral because further down the line, when the receiving spouse sells the asset, they are going to have to pay capital gains tax and it's going to be at a higher rate than it would have been under the old rules. I see. So the transfer all, if you like, has has a static benefit, but the person who's gained yeah. it, if they're going to dispose it in the future, they're still subject to the rules of CGT. Absolutely. And I think when we're looking at doing expert witness reports, I think that's going to have to be factored in. You're going to have to factor in that latent capital gain um, right. because it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it's, it, it will happen further down the line. Yeah. And especially if that person in, let's say, in a divorce case, they're saying that, well, I'm acquiring these shares 
but actually there's not enough liquidity in the pot for me to keep them. I need to sell them. That's where then yeah. you need to work out the liability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. In fact, that in. But yeah. also I think it gives greater some greater tax planning opportunities because that may not be the most beneficial thing to do. It may be to actually sell the shares and and claim other reliefs that are available. I mean, we can give a bit of yeah. an overview on that, but I think even though we've got this extension, which seems very favorable and very positive, I think there are still so many other opportunities that are available. So tax planning exercise should always, always happen at the forefront of any divorce planning. Yeah, absolutely. It's limited to CGT is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. But I think the courts um, will sometimes actually um, look at lump, lump sum payments rather than having to actually transfer across shares in the family business. So um, obviously planning needs to be done if it's a lump sum payment rather than, you know, a disposal of those or transfer um, of those shares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that happens a lot, obviously. There are quite often in cases I work on, there are lump sum or deferred lump sum yeah. transfers. Yeah. The deferred ones in particular now, then we have to make a point of thinking about that new yeah. rule and the tax liability, depending on the transfer at the time of separation, essentially. And and does this mean, do you think, for all these changes, that there might be a slowing down or disincentivization for people who are dealing with their assets to do it quickly? No, no I, I don't think so at all. I actually think it's an incentive because actually people will be doing... The ultimate goal is to divorce and separate so it's in enabling that to be on a more should we say equitable basis both of them will hopefully have more funds available to them to actually move forward with their lives so i see it as an incentive i don't see it as a delay i think yeah. you should see it as a positive more of a reality um check as such because as we were saying a year isn't likely to ever have happened in the past so this is a long time in the waiting yeah this is how it should always have been so uh yeah, yeah i think yeah. three years seems much more realistic yeah times i think it will actually um give more focus to the whole process because whereas before it was very unlikely you were going to actually get get it settled in the year of separation but now that there is a three-year window I think it gives more focus to to um, actually getting the final settlement agreed. Yeah, yeah. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. <laughs> yeah, it's so early days, isn't it? I yeah, mean, it's literally, it we're in August now at the time of recording this. So for anyone that listens in the years to come, dare I say. <laughs> <laughs> so we're very embryonic stage, aren't we? Um, yeah. Are there any changes that you've noticed on the immediate front in your profession in terms of the changes? I think it's too early to say, as you've just said, we're, it came yeah. in in April. We're only in August, so we've not seen anything filtering through yet. However, I still think it's going to be an area of interest for HMRC. For those of you who know, HMRC have taken a number of principal private residence tax cases to tribunal where they've not liked the claims that are being made by the taxpayer. And I still think that this will be another area of interest for HMRC. So even though we've extended the rules to be more flexible, 
to enable divorcing spouses to claim the relief. I think actually as the claims start to be made, it may be an area of interest and we may start seeing some tax cases coming through. However, that takes a huge amount of time, <laughs> as we yes. know. So that will be years in the making before we actually start seeing that. Yeah, no, I'm sure. And I suppose also with the fact that uh, Kay was saying you can elect on, on the measure order front, for example, to choose a different property to be susceptible to this CGT rule change. You can imagine HMRC thinking, well, how do we know which is principal residence? Should we argue about that? Because we'd like more money. <laughs> I think that's the thing, isn't it? And the rules, normal rules with PPR elections would be you have to do it within two years of having a new property. And it's just going to be interesting to see how HMRC implement that with the new rules for divorcing couples and um, so I think it's watch this space we're going to see some interesting times but I think the key here is the planning um, and make sure that any clients who have got a number of properties which they are likely to have at the end of a divorce for them actually to undertake a planning exercise to see where they should be making their claims and when. I think I think the other point to note is where you have international clients. I mean, while the um, the new legislation uh, means that there's no capital gains uh, for UK properties for for UK residents, um, it's it doesn't apply uh, if you've got dual residents. So, for example, in the US, they would still have to pay US taxes on transfers of UK properties and that's something to bear in mind it's, it's always been the case but these new changes do not alter that position so it's very important to understand the double tax treaty uh, provisions um, and and to bear that in mind there could still be tax somewhere in the world yes well that's that's quite applicable where you've basically got um, as you say, a dual citizen client, or at least one of the spouses or civil partners yeah. holds dual yeah. citizenship. Um, if they don't hold dual citizenship, but there are foreign assets, that, that might trigger international tax regimes as well. Yes. Yeah. So that, that all needs to be considered. And I suppose the key here is, is to get in early and get some advice from the outset on tax if you've got lots of different assets or if even if you don't have lots of assets if you've got assets <laughs> that are subject to disposal um potential disposal you need to really look into that um so that's very helpful i'm very grateful for you coming on to the episode because it i think it's such a new thing at the moment and it will give a lot of help and insight to potential listeners who are going through or thinking about going through their divorce at this particular stage in their lives. So thank you ever so much for your participation. And um, uh, you know, as ever, if anyone has any questions um, or you know they think that they'd like to get in touch as to make an inquiry, please do get in touch um, via the, the details which are on the header of the podcast episodes so that we can follow up with you. We'd be happy to help. So thanks for listening and take care. Thank you. Thank you.